1: In 2018, the Marvel Cinematic Universe turns 10 years old. Avengers Infinity War draws near. And in an attempt to make sense out of all that's happened up to this point, we find two intrepid individuals. Peter Melnick, local newspaper production associate and mild-mannered comic book and podcast enthusiast. And Eddie Wilson, morning radio announcer in Sullivan County, upstate New York with an inordinate amount of catching up to do in his own comic book universe. Alone, they stand apart. Duh. But together, they are the Marvelists.
0: Welcome, one and all, to the Marvelists, a podcast about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. And let's see, before we get into the show, before we get into the hulking subject matter at hand, we want to tell you all, first off, Thank you for the positive feedback we've gotten so far on episode one. And we are glad to be able to give this show to you every single week. We are going to be doing a lot of different things through different social media platforms like Facebook at Facebook.com slash The Marvelists. You can also find us on the Twitter at The Marvelists. Myself at Peter Melnick. Yourself at E. Wilson 959. You can also find us on Instagram at The Marvelists. I've been using that a lot, posting some... Pretty dank May you know, just because I got some good stuff off of the Reddit machine. But, yeah, just a lot of different things. And, you know, like I said, we're really, really happy with the feedback we've gotten so far. We, you know, we we this is a little uh, passion project, you know, that we've wanted to do for a while. Like I said, you know, last episode, I've been wanting to do a Marvel-related podcast with Eddie for a long, long time. And, and it I- had to take Infinity to bring it about. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> like, you know... It's kind of like all of this stuff coming together to create this one thing, just like the whole, you know, all three phases of the Marvel Cinematic Universe.
1: Oh, yeah. I lost track after the middle of, you know, phase two, because it was such a new thing to to get into the films leading up to phase one, and you knew the right order that you had to see the five films in order to get to the first Avengers movie and so on. But this is something that we're very grateful, and thank you for the likes I'm seeing just about every day at least a couple of people liking, and we're over 100 now, I think, on on this. So that is really cool. Not being a a, a podcast guru myself, being a sidekick, but now (laughs) maybe graduated to co-host and just putting in input, you know, it's just... Two guys talking about this stuff that you can or can't relate to, or maybe will, or no more or less, but hey, it's all in good fun, and we do appreciate all the
0: likes and all the positive feedback and stuff, and constructive criticism is welcome, of course, as well. Now, Eddie, I have to backtrack on something that you just said. Sidekick, I'm going to have to disagree with you on that. We're kind of like, you know, I how would I how would we go with one of these? Well, like, it's not Captain America and Bucky, I suppose, but no, oh, oh Lordy, no! I was actually thinking that the whole time. Like, no, we're not that. We're not. We are definitely okay. not that. So no sidekick there. Okay. And you wouldn't want to see me in short shorts, you know, just because. No, <sighs> no. But I would have to go with maybe, hmm, Spider Man and Deadpool. Isn't that right? Okay, that's yeah. a title I de- never really got into that. Combination title, but that's another story. I mean, I, I, you know, I love some uh, chimichangas. You know, like uh, Fabian Nicieza oh. snuck in for Deadpool during his Cable and Deadpool run. You know, if you're out there, peep that. Also, once again, hello to friend of the show Fabian Nicieza. You know, that, that's that's a cool he one. Is. Hell yeah, he is. It's, I'm a witness to that. Absolutely. So now, before we get to our discussion of the 2008 Incredible Hulk starring. Edward Norton. we got some other stuff going on with the show that we want to talk about in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that's been going on. Right now, a lot of people are talking that a Black Widow movie might be happening in Phase 4 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And it kind of leads me to want to talk a little bit about what they want to do with Phase 4. Now, first off, let's go into Black Widow. Eddie, what do you think about the idea of a Black Widow movie? I
1: think it's doable. You had enough little... Subject matter innuendo type stuff in Avenger movies more than anything else, Captain America Civil War, even as it starts off from, you know, Natasha having read in her ledger and so on and wanting to clean that up, having flashbacks to the way she was brought up, trained and so on, couldn't reproduce, that kind of whole thing, just, you know... Maybe in a similar way, like the Winter Soldier being brainwashed and trained in a strict, stern manner so that this is all she did was become, you know, an assassin along the lines of an Electra, perhaps. So I do think it is possible to
0: have to have this. Sure. Now, as you've seen with this movie, we really didn't get much of a description of, you know, how the Hulk was, you know, everything, because it's kind of one of those. Everyone already knows this stuff, you know, the gamma bomb and everything. We already know this now with Natasha. Yes. She's a popular character now. You know, more people know about her. But do you think a Black Widow movie needs the origin, even though we've already seen it through, I believe, Age of Ultron and stuff like that?
1: Well, I do think that if you're going to do a Black Widow movie, yes, you do have to have some kind of origin. And it would take up a substantial, I don't know how much of the film, a quarter, a third, let's say, to to establish how you know her and in what capacity kind of thing. Because you need more than just flashbacks And references that are spoken or in in some kind of a dream sequence. You need more than that. And I think, yes, it does need to be. Like, I think what will be happening, and I've only seen a trailer for the upcoming Black Panther movie. You'll need more than just what you saw in Civil War kind of thing. Am I saying now a different phrase too many times? Last episode it was and so on. This time it's kind of thing. Stay tuned for the next one. Reiteration, repeat, repeat.
0: That's what I think. Well... See, I'm actually excited about the idea, you know, of a Black Widow movie just because it's something different. Although, it's funny, you know, it took Wonder Woman to be able to, you know, get the comic book movie companies to want to, you know, make a female-led movie, you know? Well, we're not going to wait 70 years or so to come out with a Black Widow movie. No. One other thing, too,
1: let me just tell you. One other thing, too, is, all right, how did she get her Widow's Bite stinger thingies? We need to know that, I think. Yeah. Who... Was it a shield thing? Did it come about through foreign technology? You know, is there an arc reactor component in there somewhere, shape or form? Let's find out. We want to know.
0: It also leads to a lot of discussion of what is going to happen with phase four. And I've seen this discussed on Reddit. I've seen this discussed on Facebook. This is what I want to see happen. So if we are getting, in fact, a Disney buyout of 20th Century Fox and all their properties that they have, we end up seeing D23 next year. We either see that or San Diego Comic-Con. Kevin Feige goes up at the podium, says, ladies and gentlemen, the number four has a lot of importance in the Marvel Universe. And right now, that number is standing for the upcoming phase. And you see the number four behind him. Okay. And then slowly behind you see a blue circle slowly dissolve into frame and what it is is phase four involving the fantastic four galactus whatever okay and i've done this as an article that was featured on audibly exquisite here is how i would introduce the fantastic four and that since that episode you have to like you know find online now do our uh changing to soundcloud and all that stuff with audibly exquisite my idea for a Fantastic Four movie would be make it a period piece, make it a 1960s movie because Marvel's really good at doing period piece movies. Mm-hmm. We're gonna be seeing that in you know Captain Marvel being set in the 1990s. So wait a minute, yeah, you didn't know that? Did I hear you say Captain Marvel? Mm-hmm. Oh my, Captain Marvel, and it's going to have a young Sam Jackson playing the role of Mercury. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what we're gonna be seeing though is in my version of Fantastic Four. You have the adventure team. You have them as time travelers, and all this. And essentially, what happens is this: you end up having them take place in the nineteen sixties. And turns out, Captain America was a superhero that disappeared for a couple of years. But in the meantime, you had all these other characters. You could have Namor the Submariner around this time, okay? Sure. Because why not? You know. Well, he was in the beginning, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. You know, you have the the OG Human Torch. You you know, in the forties and fifties. And then what you can do is you utilize the. Ant-Man from the 1960s, 1970s, Hank Pym. Okay, yep. So by using that, you end up having this movie, and you could recreate one of the older stories, you know, kind of, but, you know, do a more modern spin on it. The first time, you know, the Fantastic Four teamed up with Ant-Man was against Doctor Doom. You make that movie, boom, 1960s period piece movie. Oh, but people, how are you going to be able to get the Fantastic Four in the mainstream Marvel universe? Like I said, time travelers. Hmm. Or... If it was me, and I would go to this really bizarre kind of movie, you end up having them show up 50 years later, older people, but what happens is this. Galactus is going to devour the Earth once again, yada, yada, yada. All of a sudden, you have this big scene set up, right? And it's the Avengers, Tony, Thor, Hawk Guy, all of them, right? And all of a sudden, you just see you know, Tony go, you know what? Screw it. I have an idea. A friend of mine, father, my father's friend, can help us out. And then you hear, "Oh, what is this person going to screw up things like you just did, Tony?" Whatever, because in my my scenario, Tony screwed everything up, Ugh. as is you know the fashion at the time. Okay, so he goes, "No, this guy actually has defeated Galactus." And some of them in the room know who he's talking about. Others who are new to this, you know, like Thor, don't know who these people are. Yep. Who? Enter a fifty-year older. Reed Richards, Human Torch, Invisible Girl, and well, now Invisible Woman, you know? Yep, yep. And The Thing. And in my version of this, The Thing would show up with graying rocks, because, you know... Graying, okay. It'd be cool. Yeah, well... And well, they, okay. you know, they do their thing. It's the, the Fantastic Four's final hurrah, you know what I mean? Mm. Something like that. So... Yeah, and what about The Silver Surfer? Well, Silver Surfer's timeless. Okay, well, cuz we last saw him floating in space and uh now do you think in the new movies, do you think they will utilize a character like the Silver Surfer?
1: I would say heck yeah. They should, they
0: better. I'm se- he's key in uh in in Galactus. I'm severely disappointed that they couldn't get the rights to him because you know, just because. And it makes sense.
1: You're wh- more into it than I am so uh you know, I'm I'm disheartened to hear that uh piece of information, but you know, that would be great you we only saw him in the one movie there are fans silver surfer fans no question i'm one of them and in the movie arena in in the rock arena i mean joe satriani brilliant guitarist titling songs return to shalla bal his his beloved from his home planet and and so on uh what is it called writing or... Uh,
0: Surfing with the Alien, I believe. Surfing with the Alien. And he the had him on the cover. cover.
1: Yes, absolutely. So, you know, that's going back to at least the 80s, I think, for... I want to say 88, 89. Could be around that time. Yes, exactly. So if you like rock guitars, Joe Satriani, check him out. It's such a great yeah. album, too. Just absolutely. highly recommend it. Yes, yes.
0: But yeah, I mean, you know, with Phase 4 happening soon, you got we got to figure out what's happening. Because all we know, the only movie that's confirmed for Phase 4... Twenty Twenty Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, okay. which, by the way, director James Gunn just went on Twitter going on about how he will not bring back Yandu. Yandu's not going to be brought back from the dead as long as he's involved with these movies. All right, well, so be it. And it, it makes sense. I, if I was James Gunn, I wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. You know. And also, James Gunn also recently revealed that he's not going to feature you know characters like Venom, the Thing, Kitty Pride, in his version of the Guardians because of the fact he wants his own version. He loved that, you know, the Abnet run from, you know, the Marvel Cosmic from 2000, I believe 5 to 2012 question mark. Or no, 2011, sorry, 2011. Okay. And you know that kind of stuff. So, I understand. I, you know, you want to do your own version of it, but you also don't want to, you know, borrow stuff that, you know, it's it's its own thing. Yeah, yeah. I think phase 4, you know, what else could we see in phase 4? I'd have to sit back and think about
1: that because I was getting all green and raged up to talk about Hulk. So we 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 went from Black Widow to Fantastic Four Time Traveler to uh, you wouldn't like me when I'm hungry. I'm sorry. I ate. That's fine. I'm good. (sighs) Thank you. So
0: now, the interesting thing, though, is, you know, what movies we could see. I personally think we are going to finally see a new Incredible Hulk movie. Phase four. We're going to see it. That would be good. That would be very good, actually. Yeah. Get
1: more stuff on the character and uh, both, you know egos, alter egos, et cetera.
0: And we also, we have to see obscure kind of characters if we're going to, you know, because Guardians were the ones, and then we end up getting Ant-Man, which Ant-Man, to an extent, is an obscure character. He's not really that well-known, per se.
1: Now he is. Yeah, oh yeah. Absolutely, with his own movie, which maybe was taken a, cha- a chance, like, like Guardians,
0: and with him being involved in Civil War. I'm going to make a bold prediction on who I think is going to be a part of Phase 4. Okay. And I've been noticing Marvel has been re-releasing some of these books, and it makes sense that they're going to be like, you know what? Let's throw these characters out. Let's see what happens. Calling it Phase Four, Power Pack.
1: Power Pack. Yay yeah. hey,
0: Now, okay. It's a bold you, prediction.
1: Yeah. Well. Okay. Okay. They had a decent run in their in their time in the uh, in the early '90s, I believe, a good sixty or so issue run. Uh, they had some good co. Characters in there, Spider-Man among them, some other ones too, and a decent read. And you're going to definitely now skew younger with the audience and get the kids in there, you know, from age six up, I would say, and get their own little team kind of thing going there. So I think, uh, yeah, it's going to be, from a financial standpoint, probably a uh,
0: a good move to do that. Yeah. I mean, they, and also you think about it like this, if we are going to do stuff involving the Fantastic Four... You can utilize in there Franklin Richards. Bingo. Who, look up Franklin Richards. Franklin Richards is like legit one of the most powerful characters in the Marvel universe. Oh, oh, yeah. It's so bizarre to say that, but it's true. Oh, it's true. It's true. So, yeah, I I don't know. I'm I'm thinking, like I said, all we know right now, actually all we know right now are Guardians 3, Spider-Man Homecoming 2. Is that a confirmed title? Yes. Well, not Homecoming 2, but it's going to be- I would say maybe, you know, we're going to get some other names from the uh, scene in Civil War. So we're going to finally get Hmm. Spider-Man Freight Car. I can't wait. Huh. Okay. Very cool. So so now, I I see Eddie's turning a little green right now, you know. Look at my microphone. It's got a green windscreen. It is. It is. Before we get right into talking about the movie, what I want to talk about is the history of the character on film. On both the screen, the little screen, and the big screen. Obviously, the Incredible Hulk originated in, you know, comics by Jack Kirby's, you know, Stan Lee. And the man. Now, what did you think of that run, you know, like through the early days onward? Give me which which aspect you're talking about now. Go, let's go with like original original, so like the Stan Lee, you know, era. I I think my gray. first My first exposure
1: to the Incredible Hulk was twofold, one of them being on TV with the 1966 animated series and in the comic book when they started reprinting the original Incredible Hulk, and that was under the title Marvel Superheroes. Right. Featuring the Incredible. And I do remember I'm gonna say it's issue number sixty one. He's coming you see him from the back, he's coming full force at the Mandarin, and uh it says the Mandarin hath ten rings and so on, and it reprints, you know, like I said, an original comic and so on. And I was in. I was I was hooked from from that uh, beginning point. So, you know, you come to see how it's a Jekyll and Hyde story. It's it's definitely two alter egos, uh, and and in the comic books especially, fleshing out the conflict that is that is between the two, one being this docile, timid, mild mannered person, brilliant, and the total opposite of being a just freakishly strong brute, beast, monster, man monster. All those all those names for him and so on, and a limited vocabulary, and you know, uh, maybe one being what the other one couldn't be and, and so on. And you can really get deep into it and, and see the psychological aspects and all that kind of stuff. But I think it's a, it's a great character throughout time, the way it's come through. And in, you know, the intros that we have to the Marvelous about needing to catch up with the storyline and so on, and one of the characters getting married and, and so on, and even uh, a point where he becomes Mr. Fix-It, and he goes, he's turned back into a gray character, which I think he originally started off as. And then they wound up going green at some point for a temporary period of time, went back to gray, put him in a like a white tuxedo with dark pants and called him Mr. Fix-It. He evolves into having a more substantial vocabulary, partners up with, I believe, Wolverine as, uh, you know, kind of, um, I guess, a hit. Sort sort of organization that uh, comes in when there's trouble, so to speak, and maybe they're you know, getting com- compensated for it, and then it goes, you know, from there. A long run, a really long run in uh, in the life of the Hulk with the comic books now going back to the original numbering. That's a whole other story if you want to, you know, continue along those lines. But but what's been done over time, I think the animated series had its time in the 60s and you'd have to go digging for that. I was lucky enough to find it on a bootleg version. It's something that I mentioned in the first episode. They should somebody should get this onto real good clean DVD and I think it would do well marketing-wise. But then from there my next exposure is to the CBS television show which I believe was on Friday night right after or right around the time Dukes of Hazard was on. And so on with Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno, yeah. And I was full
0: in on that. For it sure, actu- it actually was around from 1977 all the way to 1982. Okay, but they had like about three made-for-TV movies from 1988 to all the way to 1990. Yes. Okay. So you know, it it ended with the death of the Incredible Hulk. You had the trial of the Incredible Hulk. Yes. The you
1: know? trial. You saw that in the last in your last visit here to uh, Casa de Wilson. And- uh, the trial of the Incredible Hulk, not in the. Series that I I think I've got all five seasons on on DVD, and rewatching those as you know time permits. That's one that escaped I think DVD copying or whatnot, and of course the death of the Incredible Hulk, which is one thing that if I remember it uh, reference uh, the several references to the 2008 Incredible Hulk movie, paying a lot of homage to the TV Incredible Hulk series, which we'll get into.
0: Right down in musical cues as well. You know, Lonely Man starts playing in one part.
1: Is that the, you know, I forget that's the actual title of it. And I think at some point I remembered who the composer of that little piano, that sad piano piece was. Da, 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 da. Especially at the end of each episode and would go back, you know, to that. Some episodes it would start off with that. At some point, maybe I'll I'll have to uh, break down all the different names that Bill Bixby's character would would take because he would call himself his name would still be David, but a different last name David Baxter, David Banter, David Buckley. Well, who know? You know.
0: And correct me if I'm wrong, but even during this movie, they actually use the name David Banner. Um, in oh, this Incredible Hulk movie, two thousand eight. No, believe- Bruce. They do. Because I swear, I thought I saw him sign something as David. Uh no, not not that I recall. That
1: he was, he is Bruce. Liv Tyler is calling him Bruce.
0: Well, now, in regards to, you know, the you know, Incredible Hulk on the small screen as well, in the 1990s, there was an Incredible Hulk animated series, which didn't last very long, if I remember correctly. But Possibly
1: I didn't get into that. I was phasing out of, of the whole comic book scene at, at that point in my life. But on, on the TV series, I, oh boy, now I'm trying to read that tombstone, because I think it said David Bruce Banner. In the only in, a, in the TV show, right, with the opening credits, and he must let the world think that he is dead, and so on. Yeah, David Banner is believed to be dead, but I think they put him in there too. There's also a Robert Bruce Banner, which I think is from the original, but they call him Bruce as a matter, a point of, of fact from the animated show and from, of course, the comic books, Robert Bruce Banner. So a little discrepancy there. Just interesting though, how in the TV show, how many different last names he he gives out in some cases there's no name even spoken there's there's none you know maybe it made the editing the cutting room floor and they realize we didn't give him a name this this time around but that's what that's what wound up happening so
0: and you know at the end of 19 or in 1990 when the death of the incredible hulk made for tv movie came out that was around the time they actually started production on a hulk movie like you know theatrical movie and okay it's interesting because. It was like you would think a Hulk movie would easily happen. Like back then, you could still do certain things. Well, had you already had, I think you did, a made-for-TV Spider-Man movie
1: with Hammond, I think was his last name, the the one that was on. I think also CBS did that. The live-action Spider-Man TV series? Because it,
0: it was there for like about yeah. two
1: years. Right. Okay. Okay. Which it may have evolved from, a, from I thought, a TV movie. I believe so. And that's what the technology was, and you know, not the greatest. That's was what humble. they had, and it was something that you just went with. And okay, this is what we have, and you know, it's 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 very laughable. <laughs> and now, nowadays, to look back
0: on that, it's got that fun camp factor. To
1: and it. yes, exactly, just like an early iteration of a Fantastic Four movie. With um, oh boy,
0: um, yeah,
1: Roger Corman, I think, yeah, yeah, and and uh, just funny. You know, the thing has a very puffy, non,
0: the most non-rocky <laughs> looking f- rocks for surface. And creature. the funniest thing about that movie is people have gone on the record and said, you know what, out of all the Fantastic Four movies that they've made since 1994, the 94 version is actually the best one. Oh, it's wow. the closest to what the Fantastic Four is supposed to be. So, it's still okay. terrible but it's okay still well the closest it, it, yeah maybe in premise or in principle that that's what it is um also people if you've been following my podcasting since audible exquisite as of this recording january 15th 2018 i still haven't seen fantastic Four twenty fourteen 2014 or well, 2015 so 2015 yeah here we are
1: here we are well maybe you know in some delusional phase you'll you'll get to that and one day just you know f- experience it for yourself I don't want to. And have the emergency contact number nearby. You can't make me, Eddie. You can't make me.
0: (laughs) We can try. But now, you know, since the character was in development for movies, like with Universal, since like the early, you know, to mid-90s.
1: Well, lots of things must have happened that put it off, side project, back burner, all that kind of stuff.
0: And I always find it funny that all these properties were in development. X-Men was in development. Spider-Man was in development. Hulk was in development. Iron Man was in development. Fantastic Four was in development so many times. And yet, out of all those movies, what came out first? Iron Man. Blade. Blade, thank you very much. Okay. You know? Okay. And it's so weird. Like, the one character you would not expect to see get a movie, he gets it first, out of everybody.
1: In the whole grand scheme of things. Yeah, and, you, you know, if you weren't there and you didn't hear
0: and you don't remember, then this is just what happened. So, But, you know, the Hulk would go on eventually to get a movie, which was cool. And when would that be? 2003? 2003, Ang Lee. Computer generated,
1: people say, flop, disaster, and so on. There were certain things. I mean, you you had to just take the liberty to know that what the Hulk did in that movie, he could do in the comic books. If he jumped and he went a half a mile across the desert, yeah, that's what he did. He jumped up into the sky and tore apart a helicopter. Yeah, that's that's what he did. And limited vocabulary severely. Limited, you know. I I think again now to the TV series and how no words were given to Lou Ferrigno's character, but in the 2003 Angley Incredible Hulk, what does he say as a uh, appearance in in the mirror to Eric Banner's character, puny human, showing you the conflict between the two alter egos, the two main characters. That's his vocabulary in there. the The thing I find the worst part about that Incredible Hulk version is how he he came to get this transformation by his father and a series of experiments and injections and so on. Nick Nolte as a half-off-the-wagon, off-the-bottle, crazy scientist type whatever.
0: You're a hunk! And just... That's my my Nick Nolte. That's okay. It's awful.
1: You can keep it. Yeah. Just... In the way that it was brought about. And I said, this is not the Hulk that I know and came to be like this. You know, that that to me was really falling off the mark too, too far off. That brought it down for me. I have it. I've watched it. Okay. There it is. The, the, you know, it wasn't a horrible looking Hulk, I don't think.
0: Now, fun fact, I've actually never, ever, ever seen Hulk 2003. Okay. It's one of those movies, I own it on DVD, I own it on Blu-ray, I just have never had the time to watch it. I don't know why. Like, uh-huh. I've always heard the negative stigma the movie has. And it, it's interesting because it actually has really great reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, if I remember correctly, you know, the critics. It was compared in the
1: uh, bonus disc on the 2008 Incredible Hulk with the director and so on, other other characters about how... The size, I think they made in the 2003 Hulk 12 or 15 feet in height and, you know, they they give you a fictitious amount of what his weight was and and that kind of thing. But in the 2008 Incredible Hulk, they make him, I think, nine feet tall. Right. And maybe uh, the Abomination, two feet taller. Thereabouts. Yeah. Just one of the things, the the way they tried to describe how they portrayed him and, and put him together. And again, the technology changes with the 2008 version. You've got, you know, veins showing and the the muscle structure, everything to that effect. So much more realistic than a computer animated one, which again, wasn't horrible to see. Uh, You went with it and that's what, uh, you know, this interpretation, this version turned out to be. So probably enough
0: said on the 2003 version. Starring puny Eric Bana. Puny human. Now, eventually, you know, they were supposed to make a Hulk 2 sequel. Never happened. But what ended up happening, however, was essentially a reboot of the franchise starring Ed Norton. And with that, it subtly got linked into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm. Which, you know, people didn't know if this would happen because Paramount had the film rights to Iron Man And we're making this whole, you know, big rigmarole of it all. Yeah. And I I think it was the most, one of the smartest things that Marvel could do. You know, it was very undercover with how they did it. And we actually posted a question on our Facebook today, questions about the movie and whatnot. And we were asked by Tom Bennis of Odd Shaped Panel, what did we think of when Tony Stark shows up at the end of the film? And myself... I actually never got to see this movie until maybe 2013 for the oh, first time. Okay, It took me forever. Because like, when I was growing up, I was never really a Hulk fan. Hulk never really interested me. I don't know why. It wouldn't be until years later, you know, when I would go to East Coast Comic Con and hang out with, you know, the late Herb Trimpey, that it gave me an appreciation of the Hulk. And I ended up then binge reading, like, you know, a ton of the 60s stuff yeah. and fell in love with the character. But at the time... I, you know, growing up, I never understood the appeal of the character. I just couldn't get into him. But, you know, like a Spider-Man, because Spider-Man has that whole, you know, what I relate to, the under, or not the underdog, but like the shy, awkward kid who was picked on and all this. Everyday problems, right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my everyday problem wasn't, you know, turning green, you know, when I get pissed. I do get pissed, but I don't turn green. No. So it. It was interesting to me, you know, seeing this, and I'm, like, again, I just never had an interest towards the character until years later. Yep. Now, like I said, for myself, I heard already about the Tony Stark thing, but when you saw it, you told me you saw it when it initially came out in theaters in 2008. Right. What did you think when you saw Tony show up on the big screen in that
1: film? I thought it was great that it was, you know, going to be connected, and possibly having heard what was to unfold with an Avengers initiative kind of thing, that you needed to have something show up. What I found interesting, though, was he showed up uh, coming into the bar where General Thaddeus Thunderbolt Ross, William Hurt's character, kept saying reload for his drink and smoking a cigar, and the little conversation ensues from that point. But to have him in there, yeah, definitely continuation story, of the first one, of Iron Man, that is. But was what was interesting, having watched it on the DVD, and I thought something may have been edited or changed around for the DVD, but right after the movie is finished, before the credits start rolling, you have this extra scene with, again, Tony and the bar and Ross and so on, and talking about putting together a team. And then the credits, and then it's over.
0: There's yeah. no post-credit scene. When we were watching this, you know, I watched it in my house, and Eddie watched it at his I forgot that this didn't have a post credit scene. This yeah. was like uh, if you like a little trivia fact then, the first Marvel Cinematic Universe movie to not have a post credit scene, the Incredible Hulk. There you go. And it surprised me unless I I don't think you count post credits as who mastered the DVD or Blu-ray. You know, although yeah. that would be great. They'd be a great member of the Avengers. That's their that's what their superpower is. <laughs> you know, mastering DVDs, setting up menus, that, that's 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 their bag. Yeah. But Overall, I was like, I was actually surprised. You know, no use of a post-credits because you would think, hey, it's the Hulk. Let's yeah. It, plus, it was early in the stages of
1: what they were doing and developing this post credit scene uh, mantra and, and so on, protocol, whatever you want to call it. So, this case, they said to the, they must have said to the fans, let's not have them wait through the whole thing, and here it is, and that was it. I just get into as much as you can. And just caught up maybe with some of the exiting music of a movie in general. Not that I'm going to go away humming and remembering and all that kind of stuff. But in case I, I might see a name that I recognize, for instance. Bob Johnson. But, uh, yeah, well, Nick Nolte, like you said before. Well, yeah. That being said.
0: I don't, I mean, I just like, though, that they didn't really need to do a post credit scene for this in a lot of ways. Because it was it's funny. It was refreshing to not have to have a post credit scene because it's sometimes there post credit scenes can be hit or miss. Yeah, true. I pers- my personal favorite post-credit scene out of all the movies is a tie between Guardians 1 and Spider Man Homecoming about the whole concept of patience. Huh. I yeah. love that. I thought that was one of the funniest and smartest things that they could do. And it was it was just surprising that you know, there wasn't a post-credit scene. It could have had one, but it didn't really need one. Although, in a perfect world, my version of the post-credit scene would have been Lufer Regno's security guard character finishing that pizza.
1: <laughs> well, you might need to have him say something to him, unless you just have him sit there. Like at the end of the first Avengers movie, where they do get to the shawarma, and they're all sitting around the table just eating and showing such fatigue and exhaustion in that and so on. But, yeah, that... That would be uh, yeah, that would be interesting to see a, a Ferrigno after post credit scene. Yeah,
0: because this isn't you know Ferrigno's first rodeo in a cinematic debut or a cinematic version of the Hulk. You know, because no. he was in the two thousand three one. I believe wasn't he also playing a security guard uh, with Stan the Man? And are they walking out of the build out of a building talking to each other? I think I believe uh, so. Kind of
1: as, as kind of like
0: co-workers, and if I'm
1: remembering that right, yeah, I did want to see again to to refresh my memory on the two thousand three version, but.
0: So now overall we're going to go into discussing the film it took us about half an hour into the episode to talk about it but didn't here it? we are. <sighs> but overall, you know, with the movie, I actually tweeted the night before or the night I watched this to the effect of I've always ranked this movie low on my rankings. Yeah. And I wrote the way I wrote it was I've never you know maybe it'll change this time. Narrator It didn't. <laughs> so we we will, when we get to it, we're going to give my, you know, I'll give my review about it. But see, I think overall the cast dynamic, Ed Norton as the Hulk. Eddie, what did you think of Ed Norton as the Hulk? I think he did a great job. And,
1: you know, it just didn't carry through to anything further than that. But I think in his capacity, they even said that also in the bonus featurettes part of, part of this disc, how he and the director didn't think they would be able to or wanted to take uh, their respective roles. But upon further consideration and maybe explanation of what was to happen, the character, the development, so on, they, they got on board and they ran with it, and it turned out to be, I think, really well done on both ends.
0: And actually, Marvel, in 2010, he didn't stay as the Hulk, as you can tell. Right. And Marvel actually gave a statement in 2010 regarding Edward Norton and the line or the statement from Marvel was we have made the decision to not bring Ed Norton back to portray the title role of Bruce Banner in the Avengers. Our decision is definitely not one based on monetary factors, but instead rooted in the need for an actor who embodies the creativity and collaborative spirits of our other talented cast members. The Avengers demands players who thrive working as part of an ensemble as evidenced by Robert Chris H Chris E Sam, Scarlett, and all of our talented casts. We are looking to announce a name actor who fulfills these requirements and is passionate about the iconic role in the coming weeks. Now, it's a very cold message of, you know, like it's basically we don't want him back. Yes. Because he actually had a lot of, like it was a lot of problems with it. You know what I mean? He, From what I've heard, he's actually a very hard person to work with in Hollywood, you know, and that's why, like, there has been a time where he, he had a dry spell of movies, you know, not many films starred at Norton. So. Okay. So there's part of it, too. So, yeah. But when I watched this movie, I put that to the side, you know. And there are parts of me as I'm watching this movie, I feel like, you know, this really movie really doesn't matter because. This guy is not the Hulk anymore. Yes, it still ties in story-wise, you know, like with General Thunderbolt Ross, you know, showing back, you know, coming back in Civil War, but does it really matter with him? And I would say it does, but again, there is a part of me where I'm just watching this movie and I'm like, I don't really like him in this role, like, because he's not going to be back, so what do I care, you know?
1: Well, if you look at it that way, then you have a completely legitimate... Interpretation or reaction to it, but me just looking at it as here's how it's happening, here's how it's developing, let's see where it goes. It works. And oh, story wise, it definitely does. And from the beginning, like it was alluded to before about not going into an origin, and I was with, with Black Widow, let's say, you get the origin in the opening sequence, credits, that kind of thing, as to what happened. And here's where you see the first direct references to the TV Incredible Hulk. Being in that laboratory chair, that metal chair strapped in and it tilting backward and the radiation machine coming in front of him and so on. The level being too excessive, the close-up of the eyes turning green and the rest of the face in shadow, direct to the TV show. A little bit more bloodied than I would think In the opening destructive scene, where the Hulk first comes alive, but Frampton—that's it. A green, green Frampton. You feel like we do. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That being said, you get the you get the gist of where we're at. He has escaped to Brazil, and for at least five months, he's off the radar.
0: Yeah, working in a soda factory.
1: In a a bottling factory, yeah, which they went into detail as to how that all got created, again, with the director. Not the director's cut, but the extended, the extra scenes, likewise. And it was thought that when he realized he cut himself, his blood fell down because he was up at a higher elevation and was able to get the machine stopped from producing, that he found and wiped up the blood that was on the conveyor belt, not realizing that... Part of it had dripped into an open bottle to be filled with the soda, which would then be shipped off to the United States, uh, Milwaukee, I think. And here's Stan the Man in his
0: cameo. And if we're being honest, this is actually, for some reason, how bizarre the cameo is. I like it a lot. I don't know why. <laughs> it's... All right, the bizarre Stanley cameo tangent
1: alert is in, I guess, Deadpool when he's the DJ at the strip club. <laughs>
0: I, I've always loved that one.
1: uh you know, Bubbles. I, no, I don't remember what
0: her name is, but... Uh, Probably Candy or something. That but, was, yeah. I'm like, whoa, okay, Stan. You know? I think when it came to that, how he's in that other country doing all this stuff... I liked that. I thought it was a great way of showing what he's doing, where he's at at this moment. And I think it even said 158 days without incident kind of thing. That was such a great thing. And when he finally does, Hulk out, becomes the Hulk, and you see that number go from all the way up, and then... At the one. end of the movie? No, in, in that one scene where he's in the, where he shirtless after everything happened, and it's just such a cool shot, but then you just see in the corner, of the little counter goes... One, one day without incident. I love One that. Day Without Incident, yeah. It's so yeah. funny and so subtle with its humor, you know? It is. That and is, that is absolutely true. I was thinking at the very end of the movie
1: where he's able to induce a reaction, a change and his eyes go green where the days without an incident were up to let's say 31 and then went down to 0 and it ends at that point, yeah. And but th- the other fu- the other funny thing was him not knowing his Spanish and and the translation at the bottom saying you wouldn't like me when I'm hungry. It's true. Again, another direct line, opening credits to the TV show.
0: Don't make me angry, Mr. McGee. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. I do think seeing some of that stuff, seeing the level of how he acts in it, you know? He definitely was an interesting Bruce Banner. He is very mild-mannered, and I feel from a physical standpoint, he was a perfect choice. He was better as a physical choice for the Hulk than he was acting-wise, although I did like his acting in the film, mm-hmm. he was a complete 180 of what the Hulk is, and then you see Banner, literally puny Banner, you know?
1: Yes, thin, frail, so, sort of frail, but not when he is, you know, eluding the the army who has now found him, or is it the Air Force? At least the helicopter has the USAF on it. Okay, fine. I digress. When he's being chased, he's pretty agile and he's in shape. So he's able to get as far as he does, unfortunately, with the, re- the results and subsequent events that happen with the blood spill and into the soda and so on. That's how he's able to, to uh, get tracked down, that kind of thing. But then again, now you mentioned earlier about development of other characters, and here comes where Mr. Blue the other scientists, Samuel Stearns, I believe, and Mr. Green, Bruce Banner, get together. Induce a transformation and and administer an antidote and so on. And the other character of Emil Blonsky gets his due diligence. He He gets his Muppets. He gets his enhancement to become the Abomination. And in that sequence, with the lab getting destroyed and so on, Sam Stearns hits the ground and I guess some blood is dripped on his forehead and his head begins to pulse, which to me says that could be the leader Because of knowing that character having a big brain and that's the person and him, the character in the movie now smiling, uh, thinking, oh, something's happening to me now because, you know, he has seen the transformation and he thinks it's beautiful. So he wants this as well as Blonsky, who did,
0: you know, become the abomination. Now, with Blonsky portrayed by Tim Roth, what did you think of him overall as a character? I thought he was he was good. Uh, you know, it was
1: uh, wincing to see when he had gotten an injection, of course, in the back. That was definitely a cringe moment. But when he was on the battlefield of Culver University, again, another TV show reference in, in Virginia. But Culver was also, I believe, the scientific lab or institute in the TV show where Bill Bixby's character was working and so on. And then, of course, having the two students, Jack McGee, and Sam Wilson, covering it. So, direct Jack McGee at least from the TV show, and Sam Wilson from the comic book. But in that scene of the fighting, uh, Emil Blonsky saying, "Is that all you got?" And Hulk kicks him, and he goes face first into a tree. But he's able to come back from that. But that was definitely a like, oh, he's you know, he's gone. And he comes back from that and only to further mutate with the injection, which is derived from Banner's
0: blood. Now, overall, for me with Roth, I would say he played such a slimy, weaselly kind of character. Yes. And it was perfect. It was... When you see him interact with everyone else, it makes you feel dirty just watching him. He's just such a sleazy kind of character. But with... He's sleazy, but also dangerous. Which is... An interesting combination
1: Well, yeah, but they could go, and they did go hand in hand, those characteristics, so it wasn't you know it's like, okay, that's that's how he is. I didn't feel you know dirty about it kind of thing watching it, but yeah, this is we know the path he's going to be going to, and it's building toward, and that's what you do in a movie when you tell a story, you know, and the, and in some to some extent, it develops in a comic book storyline as well, whether it's a direct or a subplot that gradually unfolds. Exactly. Yeah.
0: And like as I'm watching this movie, also, you know, I'm so used to Tim Roth for his work with Quentin Tarantino, you know, in Pulp Fiction, in Reservoir Dogs. And it's, again, you know, that range of how he is as a person. You know, you see him in Reservoir Dogs, and he's kind of a good guy. He's an undercover cop and all that. Okay. And I don't know. It's just, it was such a strong performance from him in this movie. And it's like. It was, and it needed to be. And I think it, it, it made it. It passed an- the test, so to speak. It's an example of how Marvel knows the right people to get for these roles, you know? And it's very rare when Marvel misses with a casting opportunity. Like, it's very rare, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, nothing comes to mind that, you know, was a total bomb, and uh, maybe I'm just more forgiving, if that's the case.
0: I mean, we we still have how many more movies to go through? (laughs) And, you know, like, also, going with you mentioning, you know, how we see the potential buildup of the leader, You also see Leonard Sampson played by Ty Burrell, who, believe it or not, is actually, you know, this is one of his earlier roles before he got big on Modern Family, you Mm -hmm. know, as the uh, father on the show. And it's kind of fun watching these movies and you see actors from other things in this, you know, world, you know? Yeah. And like before they were famous, essentially, or while they were famous and slightly underground a little, not underground, but you get my point.
1: Well, another Words. thing I learned, and not to go off on a tangent as well, but that's what happens when you do these things, that in the scene where Betty almost gets killed, Dr. Elizabeth Ross, not a doctor in the comic books, by the way, kids, but in this movie, this is how it goes. But Hulk shields her from machine gun fire, gets her out of there. It's uh, cut to nighttime, thunderstorm, heavy rain, and he uh, Hulk brings her into a grotto, a, a rocky overhang, Cave ish type thing he bumps his head a couple times. I didn't realize until seeing the the bonus documentary uh, commentary and so that that whole grotto scene was a reference to the comic book of the gray Hulk and not realize and they did show a, a a sequence of comic book panels with the dialogue in there, and a much tougher Betty trying to understand trying to get the Hulk to understand why. Is he shielding her, trying to protect her, doesn't want his help, and so on. So a different thing. It's it's a different perspective on that. But it brought in another Hulk universe aspect to it, to the movie, that if you just casually saw the movie, like, okay, well, this is what? He, he took her inside a, a cave rocky thing that was a thunder, and, and Hulk was trying to defeat or yell at the the lightning because it was a powerful force that he had to protect Betty from. That's the other thing. Besides two words towards the end of this 2008 Hulk movie that that Hulk says is Betty, I think just one time in in this version. So there's that. The other thing to to make a reference to with respect to the TV show is I believe towards the end where it's not sure if Banner will transform back into the Hulk once it's realized that the abomination is running havoc in New York City although it's actually Toronto where it was where it was shot and is willingly not tossed but he he, low, he lets himself backflip out of the helicopter with hands tied that i believe goes to the tv show also which i think was in the death of the incredible hulk of the of the huge fall but i think if i'm not mistaken in the tv show and i didn't believe it that it happened but i guess they had to end the show the incredible hulk has no choice but to leap out of a helicopter, yes, as the Hulk, as Lou Ferrigno, and fall a tremendous distance where that fall kills the Hulk, kills him. And that's how the TV show ends. But in the movie, this doesn't happen. I mean, you you see some impact and so on, but then Hulk's fist comes up through the ground and we have the Abomination Hulk fight sequence ensuing.
0: Now going with Abomination, how did he compare it to, you know, we've watched these movies for 10 years now. How did Abomination compare to all those other characters that you've seen so far?
1: All the other characters in the MCU or yeah,
0: like monster characters to fight?
1: Or I would I would have said or this Abomination movie character versus the Abomination comic book character. And I thought it was a pretty good comp- you know way to do this to put this version onto the silver screen to have him be really monstrous having bones ribs of vertebrae coming through skin and so on and and having himself almost like he's got a a set of built-in armor skeletal as it is having spikes out of his elbows to pierce the hulk's skin which bullets and so on and mortar shells and everything the army can dish out can't do the only thing that would really get the hulk is if he wasn't smart enough and eventually he does become is he would on occasion in the comic books be able to succumb to gas. So in one aspect, if you didn't think fast enough, in the, cha- in the above the Culver University, which they recreated on top of that uh, crosswalk with the glass enclosure, it's all like a greenhouse effect, I'm thinking. You know, he could succumb to gas if he was Hulk in, in there, but instead he transformed and jumped, broke through and out of there. But the Abomination, I thought, was well-suited, well-partnered up to fight the Hulk— Two feet bigger as he was, him having more of an extensive vocabulary, you know, and having more brain power to be able to vocalize what he was doing and and so on and and knowing. uh, I
0: think they did a really, a really good job. And, you know, when it comes to the overall CGI in the film, it holds up very well. It's not that dated looking compared to, you know, other movies from around that time. Yeah, No, it's not. And when we see Abomination, when we see the Hulk, they're menacing. And going back to the Hulk himself... Something that I really liked about this, I never saw Hulk two thousand and three, so I don't have any frame of reference. But when they're introducing this character, you see him turn at the Hulk for the first time, and you quickly just see flashes one, two, three, one, two, three. You don't get a good look of the Hulk until a few like a little while in still, yeah, but I true. like that because it's like a horror kind of thing. It's like a monster, like we don't know what this is gonna be. it's like like how do I describe it like if we did a friday the 13th movie you'd build up to seeing jason you see like maybe like a quick shot of his eye with the mask you see his arm you see this you don't see everything in one go you end up building up to this and when you finally see the hulk he's this over the top larger than life kind of creature yeah. and it works it's so smart and you know the director of this film knew what they were doing Yeah,
1: and I think just going back, you reminded me of the 2003, Angley when you said one, two, three. It just reminded me how that story was being told in comic book panels. It was not going to an actual colorized comic-looking strip panel thing, but the story was then all of a sudden getting a line cut through it and then cutting that into a quarter screen panel and so on. I think it took away. It made it... Maybe they were trying to make it more believable by saying, "This is a comic book." Just remember that we're going to cut this now into panels and continue our story as we go along. It didn't work, I don't think. In this in this case, I think there's been a couple of other similar things that have happened, but it was for a different effect. And what comes to mind is the late '70s movie, The Warriors. Yeah. That in the movies, no, and I did not see it in the movies. I think I saw it on cable for the first time only being mostly drawn to it because of where they were riding to in subway cars because County that Island. was you know what they they supposedly according to the railroad map in the in this in the car the railroad car it was going to the end of the line and one of the lines and I forgot the number of the line ended a block from where I used to live in the Bronx so I recognized some of the street names Dyer Avenue and Boston Road Stuff like that. So I was like, oh wow, that's cool. But in the twenty fifth, I believe, anniversary of the Warriors, they at certain points in the movie froze the frame end of the scene and went to a comic panel to to make it less serious or desensitize it because this movie, if you didn't know, and I'm sorry for the tangent, this movie spurred actual violence. Yeah. Um, from when it was released, some street gang violence. So it must have hit a nerve and gotten very close to the pulse of what was happening with New York area boroughs, gangs, and the like. I didn't know about that. I used to live in the Bronx.
0: You were a well-mannered child. I was
1: 12 when we moved to Bergen (laughs) County, New Jersey, and wasn't exposed to that. Granted, the area was getting worse in terms of violence and crime, and that was a factor in our actually moving to a more suburban
0: environment. Man, now I'm just imagining you with a leather jacket, your hair slicked back, you know. Yeah, exactly. Got po- you got a pocket knife comb. Listen, hey. I was so straight I could
1: make a telephone pole look crooked. Ah. So that was that was me. You know, hair parted on the side, hair, a little. hair short. You know, and yeah, mm-hmm, clean cut, parochial schoolboy.
0: Had a boy, Attaboy, Eddie.
1: Yeah, would have <laughs> skipped if I stayed into the school system that I was in. Would have probably been on track to complete seventh grade and jump straight into high school. Damn. Yeah, I was on that track according to what I was told. So, anyway that changed. And here we are. So, that tangent being done and so on. Yeah, a lot of references to the TV show. You don't necessarily have to have seen the the TV show Incredible Hulk to understand it. And you you will know when you see it. Oh, yeah, that's from when that happened and so on. So, little nuances like that helped, I think, bring people in who did know and familiar with the TV show. I think it holds up very well. He did... Bruce Banner's character, of course, go from being in Brazil to after his first Hulk out experience, uh, waking up and and speaking to somebody who picked him up on the road and saying, why are you speaking Portuguese? You know, because uh, it's another Spanish dialect. And he says, well, where am I? And the guy says, Guatemala. And so he's he's <laughs> which gone is not one- a fruit, by the way. You thought it was.
0: I know someone who thought it was a fruit.
1: Oh my! Okay. Well, thanks for the extra. I'll have to remember that. It's not a fruit. It's not a vegetable either, I suppose. Nope. Okay, that's good. Or a mineral. And there, (laughs) and from there, uh, I think at the end of the movie in uh, British Columbia, and that whole sequence with that heart pendant. I think I lost how that changed over because Liv Tyler had it, and it was of value. And because of the fact that Liv Tyler and Bruce Banner, I'm sorry, Betty Ross and Bruce Banner were, you know, on the run, couldn't use credit cards to be tracked, although that is what wound up happening with with the computer, using a computer for some data. But they spoke about just using cash and possibly selling this heart pendant to get somebody to keep moving, winds up being in, Bruce Banner receives it, and then in turn is putting it in the mail, I think, back to Betty Ross. So I lost somewhere where maybe he was in possession of it and that kind of thing. You also had to take to liberty to fact that essentially a flash drive is what Bruce Banner had to swallow with the data yeah. before he hulked out and was able to once he transformed back expunge it from his system and have the data that was needed to get to Mr. Blue to the uh, to Sam Stern's uh, scientific character where unfortunately he finds that it's been his blood sample has been replicated and tried to develop and what they want to do is of course if you didn't know make this creature into a a weapon not of the same ilk as a super soldier which i did pick up is being referenced not only in well, i don't know if there was actually a real reference in the first iron man movie but definitely in the hulk movie with first of, in two instances with the dialogue between ross and blonsky super soldier comes into play and then at the end I believe, with Tony Stark and Ross about that idea of Ross's not working. And then, of course, the gradual unfolding of assembling a team.
0: Now, overall with this movie, you know, like I said, a lot had changed. Mark Ruffalo would eventually go on to portray the role of the Incredible Hulk, Bruce Banner. And it, in turn, you know, things got shook up a little in the mcu Mm -hmm. now we ended up not hearing from any of these characters until uh 2016 with captain america civil war where thunderbolt ross made his return and he was played by john hurt so it kind of william well yeah william hurt there we go william hurt i keep i keep thinking of uh the actor who played the doctor okay so okay anyway uh i'm making sure i'm following you so that's you know it's all good (laughs) okay but he ended up going on playing you know the role of Thunderbolt Ross again reprising it does this mean that we could maybe see Liv Tyler t- wow Liv Tyler cuz i am tired feeling feeling tired yes okay Liv Tyler portray the role of Betsy Ross again could we see Tim Roth portray Abomination again could we see you know the the think or the leader again could we see Doc Samson again we don't know.
1: That's quite possible. In
0: fact, the whole Doc
1: Samson part, I think I missed. I have to go back and watch it again. And he's in there, though. You said, yes, yes.
0: And it's its so strange because... Another character. Sorry. Hey. But, you know, we're going to see all these different characters, you know, maybe one day. It could happen. You yeah. never know. We don't know, actually, if these people, the actors from this film, other than William Hurt, if they showed up at the recent Marvel photo shoot, you know, for the 10th anniversary. Maybe Liv Tyler was there because that could give hope that, you know... Her, she's going to come back. Natalie Portman could come back. We don't know. No.
1: No, we just have to wait and see. We can only speculate, talk about
0: it, and love what we have. I mean, in some ways, is this movie still canon? I would say it is, to an extent. Yeah. It's just there's going to be things that have to be rewritten, you know, retconned a little bit. And I just feel like When you introduce characters like Doc Sampson, when you introduce the leader, is this just a throwaway character, you know, like a reference for the fans at home, you know, who are like, oh, wow, I know who that character is. Or, oh, I know that character. He's going to be that one down the line. Will we ever see them again? Is it worth the payoff? You know what I mean? Yeah, not know. One all done?
1: the variables are not all assembled, whether it's a matter of the actors or if it's the right storyline to follow at this time or maybe something else is taking precedent and, and that kind of thing. We're assuming leader. We're not sure if that's correct, but that's who it seems to look like, having some knowledge of this material. But it could be totally moot when they do move on and maybe develop some other direction because time is money and you know money will go so far and all the other things that come into play.
0: Yeah. So now, Eddie, where does this movie rank overall? with the two we've seen iron man and the incredible hulk i think it's almost maybe not quite equal footing
1: maybe one peg below in that it could be disjointed and separated from what's already started and what will follow and hindsight is a beautiful thing 2020 and whatever good show but it's not it's not a bad film by any means and it does uh kind of uh implant or get the foundation for this character who will, you know, go on and do more. And we have seen more, not only in Avengers, even in that character's development and and physically having a resemblance to Mark Ruffalo's face, which I think had not been done heretofore up to this point, which I think is a a major accomplishment. And possibly to continue, and of course continues into the evolution of Hulk in a warrior costume in Thor Ragnarok, which is, of course, for another episode. But a definite solid foundation to build upon and and continue on. And, uh, you know, last words, Hulk smash. Oh, yeah. And, And man, he does. And a great, also, to the comic book, another nod, when the helicopter has crashed on the top of the building, Hulk abomination going at it, a fire starts around the helicopter and threatens to totally destroy the helicopter and its occupants. Thunderbolt Ross, the pilot, Betty, and Hulk slams his foot down, but then smashes his hands together to create such a vortex of wind that it extinguishes the fire. That's out of the comic book, and that was spot on excellent,
0: I thought. Now, out of five, I'm going to um, give my review, but or, you know, a little critique. Overall, I liked the movie more than I did the first time and second time I saw it. This is my third viewing of this film. Uh-huh. Now... Again, like I had you know, tweeted that day, I was going in partially with lowered expectations because I'm like, you know what? This is my one of my least favorites. I just don't dig it as much as I should, whatever. But I did go in enjoying it a lot more than I did before. Which is good. But. It grows on you. It does. It does, you know, with gamma radiation. And fungus, and it's green, and it's all good. Damn right. <sighs> now, I still compared to Iron Man- out of five, we're doing the out of the five ratings, correct? Okay. Two and a half out of five. Ouch. It's still, it is a passable movie. It's very interesting with what they do. And it began, you know, for myself, I was never really that invested in the character until later on in life. And as someone who then, you know, watched the movie after getting a little bit more versed in the character, enjoying him more, I do understand the appeal of the character and I understand what makes this character tick in this film. But I still feel it was, it's one of those movies. Do you need to watch this to understand the overall arc of the Marvel cinematic universe? I don't think so. It's not like, yeah, probably not. Okay. It's not that important to the overall story. Like the only thing of real importance in this movie is, Hey, Tony Stark came over here and said, "Hey, what up? We want that Hulk guy."
1: Yeah, well, that's they really about it. Probably needed to just establish the character to get this character exposed to the general public and to know that this is going to be, you know, something bigger. So, yes, you wouldn't necessarily need to have seen this in a sequence leading up to the end of Phase 1 to the Avengers movie. But it wouldn't hurt to to have it under your belt and to have seen it as as well. So I'm gonna go with a pretty solid four on it. Really? I, I think so. I'm you know, you're you're gonna force me into rating all of these. <laughs> I really am unbiased to to um most everyone that I've seen. I did give my negative on the Ang Lee two thousand three version. Boy. And I'm not sure where I would rate that. Three, three and a half out of five, possibly. Uh which is probably kinder than a lot of people. But that's Eddie, what do you think of Howard the Duck? <laughs> You know what? I got to get back to you on that because that's one of many that I need to uh, to see. So not going to lie, we
0: might actually do Howard the Duck as a bonus episode one day. Like might the time not be Guardians. a bad idea, yeah.
1: And sip out of a martini glass while we're doing it.
0: Oh, boy. We'll, we'll, need, we'll need some stiff drinks for that movie. Oh, okay. I don't even drink, but I'll need something for that. <laughs> but, yeah, so I would say, though... Again, I liked it more than I did the first two times I ever saw it. I just feel it didn't have much value with what they were doing, you know. I don't know. It's it was a good movie though. It was a good popcorn flick. It's not one movie that you couldn't
1: have done anything about and then just dropped him into an Avenger th- movie. You, you couldn't. Could, I, I feel. I, I don't think so. I, you know, Ant Man has been developed. That was a great uh, hit of a movie. Took on a a wide I think a, a appeal or liking to. I don't think you could have not done a Hulk movie, either one two thousand three two thousand eight, and just said oh boom. By the way, he's part of the Avengers.
0: Well, right. hello, where'd you come from, and what you know? Give us a little bit of background, please. Uh, I mean, honestly, I feel like if you watch those movies without the Hulk, the first, the Phase One, and then go into Avengers One, I feel they do enough like. The Hulk is like Spider-Man, kind of. It's the whole, you know who I am, but you want to know why I'm here. It's more that. It's more so with the Hulk,
1: because Spider-Man has been fleshed out in other versions prior to the Marvel
0: Cinematic Universe starting, remember? Uncle Ben has been shot more times than the rapper 57. You got that right. And he (laughs) still winds up the same way. Dead. Poor Uncle Ben. Uncle Ben, no. No, Uncle Ben, no. Why am I so bad at this? Anyway... (laughs)
1: You had to. That's it. Spider-Man is, you know, the Marvel equivalent of Superman, oh, I feel. Oh, hell yes. So he is the foundation, and you get his story, you know it, you know, when... Like I said, in the beginning of The Incredible Hulk 2008, in the opening credits, you get the sequence of how he came to be where he is. So you don't need the whole origin story to take up most of the film. When you get to, which Spider-Man movie is it, two and or three with (laughs) Tobey Maguire, you've got the sequence of events that are happening up till that point. So you've got, here's our story so far, up to here. That's good. Spider-Man is cemented. You know what he can do. Enough to know, to not need to know all the little nuances and so on. Um... With Hulk, you needed to have some kind of backstory to get it to get it up to speed, kind right. of thing. And that's where I, you know, stand. no other Avenger, I think, in this movie, in the Assemblage that you have from the original team, doesn't have an origin, doesn't have something that brings you up to that, and we'll continue that when it gets up to Thor and the Captain America movies. So that's going to round out pretty much the the initial Avengers team without going into. You know, later in the comic books, for example, where the roster keeps changing, and Captain America as the chairperson brings in other characters for one reason or another. That you know, in the comic book industry, they they're exploring new characters and they want to see if they fit well in the team and so on. And then, of course, you know, you could really go off into a tangent. I may even post up something that I have a whole list of Avengers bylaws and so on. We can
0: (laughs) do you really rip that apart and so? Oh God, absolutely, yeah. That might make for some very interesting Instagram content. That'll
1: be a nice uh, 24 by 36 uh, poster that I put together with uh, a nice little uh, dichotomy there. We may even have to shoot that and post it. Hell yeah. So now
0: before we go, overall, Hulk, f- for me, a solid uh eh. You don't need to see it. Solid eh. That's yeah. a weak, that's a, that's a
1: wishy-washy eh. But. Solid eh. 2.5 on your five scale. That's what yep. you said. That's
0: what you're sticking to. I'm going 4.0. Now, Next week's movie. What's next week's movie, Eddie? Iron Man 2. Electric Boogaloo? Are you kidding me? Hey, yeah, you never know. Maybe he well, there is a little bit of dancing in there. I mean, That's does...
1: the Breakin' movie soundtrack.
0: <laughs> Holy cow. Where am I? And that movie 1984? actually for? Ay ay That movie actually features Mr. Mickey Rourke as Whiplash. So, correct. We got some stuff I mean about that one. That is again one of those controversial Marvel movies. Some people love it. Some people absolutely hate it. More leaning towards the hate it category. Wow. But okay. you'll hear my thoughts next week. You'll hear Eddie's next week. But in the meantime, want to keep interacted with this show? Well, yeah, you should. Go on Facebook. Go and like us on there. Facebook.com slash The Marvelists. You can find us on Twitter at Peter Melnick. Yourself? At E. Wilson 959. You can also find us on Instagram at The Marvelous. And also, when you're on iTunes rate review subscribe share it five star review the show because it helps us out with the itunes algorithm lets more people know about this here fine program and you know honestly we just want to be able to branch out we want our own universe we want fans all over the world who enjoy this stuff as much as we do we want to talk to you people comment on our posts share our posts let people know about this you got friends that love marvel send them our way we will welcome them with love and arms, like an Avengers initiative ourselves, if that even counts. Does that make sense? Maybe. Yeah. Somewhere, someplace. So, I'm Peter Melnick. I'm Eddie Wilson. Excelsior.